Welcome along to the Make It Count podcast. It's great to be back. I'm David. And I'm Matt. <laughs> today we're have... the singing and dancing Taylor Bros. <laughs> we're going to have some fun today. So, we are talking about making cooking count. Yeah. What do you think of when you hear that, Matt? It's cooking today. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think of... Okay, so yeah, we obviously recently, was it last week, talked about meals together? Was it a week It was before? a recent week, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose making cooking count can be an extension of that, or mm-hmm. a prerequis- prerequisite, I suppose. Mm. Um, but it's also a thing of maybe the kind of food you're eating. So obviously, you know, make it count by eating healthily, choosing what kind of food you're going to cook and what kind of meals you're going to do. Um, so Matt what's your favourite meal to eat to eat mm-hmm. ah this is a hard question what's a favourite meal to a f- eat? yeah a favourite meal to eat well uh, yesterday I had a really nice meal actually mm-hmm. a bit of an odd mix actually it was like little the little pancakes with like duck mm-hmm. and like hoisin sauce and cucumbers that was a great mm-hmm. little starter mm-hmm. and then had um, ribs you know, yes. rack of ribs with, you know, some rice and vegetables and stuff. It was really nice. Sounds really, really nice. good, yeah. Do you know how to cook that? Uh, I have... I think I've done it before. Kind of. I've never cooked ribs before. Yeah, I think I have mm, once, maybe. Or maybe I'm just thinking of I've had ribs a lot recently. <laughs> <laughs> your go-to meal in a tight spot. Why, why, what's your, one of your favourite meals to cook? David, or to, to eat, to eat. I was going to ask you what, after this what your favourite meal to cook is. Okay, my favourite meal to cook. Mm-hmm. I'm quite stir fry is easy, so mm-hmm. just like a typically a, a Chinese stir fry or something like that. Mm-hmm. Chicken is the go-to for that. Chicken stir fry, then nice. you just like mix it up with different sauces. Yeah, very nice. Good. My favourite meal to eat. I uh, just quite a lot. I like. A lot of different foods. Actually, <laughs> now I come to think about it's it. It's a hard yeah. question to answer, isn't it? It's quite hard. I quite like curries. Yeah. Um, what kind of curries? Probably British curries is what British, I've British yeah. Indian curries. British Indian curries. British style yeah. Indian curries. Yeah. Because obviously there's also Thai, nice curries. Thai curries. Yeah. As well. That is nice. You mean there's also South Indian curries from mm-hmm. Kerala. Those are really nice, actually. Mm-hmm. But we don't have them very often. Yes. And... Yeah, different different sort of expressions of certain stuff. I was experimenting the other week. And I made some crispy chili beef. Oh yeah, uh, was, was it supposed to be crispy? Yeah. So the idea. Okay, it's was not just like you were cooking chili beef and then you burnt it and you called it crispy chili beef. No, no, it's a, it's a whole deep frying process, Matt. You know? Oh wow! Yeah, so you chopped up this uh, this steak into different bits, covered it in some like. Um, white and black pepper and corn flour and then deep fried it and then put it in the rest of the some fried up vegetables and a mm. sauce that I made which was it was really nice uh, but it yeah. wasn't quite as crispy as I'd liked uh, so it was soggy crispy beef no not 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 quite but basically nearly what, crispy beef in the recipe I had it was like chop it up put it in a bowl then crack an egg on it oh, yeah. and, and mix it all in so that then everything you know the the pepper and the cornflour sticks to it. Right. Well, the egg was quite big, and it was like I should have probably drained the egg somewhere. What kind of. What do you mean? It's a big egg. It's like an ostrich egg or something like that. Well, I'd come in different sizes. All to say is 
there was a load of extra sort of juice in there, as it were. Right. So when I put the pepper and the flour in, the corn flour, it didn't go like, it should have been more dry. Instead, right. it sort of created this soggy, soggy stuff. sort of mess. So I should have drained off that, right. put more, maybe put a bit more in and, and done it, and then Biggie fried mess. it. It was still tasty, uh, but it wasn't quite as quite as crispy as I'd have liked. Right. Anyway, the random story about me cooking there. But that's one of the things I think I wanted to talk about today is making cooking count. Because I sat down with my wife and we... It was a couple of months ago as we were starting marriage and we're doing this marriage journal thing. And one of the things was like, what are some one year goals you'd like to do? And one of the things I thought would be quite nice is getting better at cooking Mm. and making it count in that regard. (laughs) And there are some dishes that I've been cooking for ages, but I've also quite enjoyed experimenting a little bit. But I wondered what it means to make cooking count. What is it that... You're not just because you you mentioned this idea of cooking healthily, and well, is that does that mean you're making it count? What's and lots of people seem to be cooking less now than they have been before. This obviously crosses over into a little bit of like meal times and you know sharing that time together. I think cooking is related. Well, this goes back to I suppose my uh, longest experience of doing cooking regularly was when I was. At university and living in a house with six guys and we had a really nice system i think this i've heard, other people i've heard have done this but i've also heard plenty of people effectively end up just cooking for themselves everyone kind of fends themselves you buy your own food you have your own shelf in the fridge mm-hmm. you do yourself and if you're lucky you maybe do match up with someone else but we basically six guys um we on average cooked once a week you know you had a little grid up put down when you wanted to cook that week and when you were going to be in and then if you weren't going to be in but you wanted food saving so basically whoever was cooking for that day knew this is how many people I'm cooking for Um, and that was really nice because it meant several things we saved a lot of money on shopping because Mm -hmm. we basically were able to do the weekly shop and there was someone that was in charge of that and then if you needed anything extra for that week you just let him know and does that save a lot of money? Fridge space, of course, the fridge made sense. It was a normal fridge rather than everybody's shelf had to contain everything. Yes. Meat and be- dairy and vegetables all squished next to each other. Um, <laughs> and and so that was great. And then because we intentionally were like, well, yeah, we, everyone's going to cook once a week and we're going to try and make it so that people eat together. At this, you know, so... That meant that there was the community thing. So we had the the meals together um, around the table because of that. And it all built and it, it really helped the the community in the house. The the kitchen where the dining room table was could seat. The dining room table was massive, it could easily seat twelve people at a squish fourteen. It became the centre of the house. Mm. Uh, and that was amazing. It was wonderful. Sort of people would come up the stairs, we were the top two two stories of like a four-story townhouse sort of thing and cut the stairs and the bit the first real community space there was a few off rooms but then it was literally the kitchen with this big table you know wraparound preparation surfaces Mm. um and so i always remember whenever it was my turn to cook and if i had sort of friends coming over as in addition to just housemates almost i didn't intentionally do this but i clearly subconsciously would 
I would kind of go, okay, I would invite them round for, say, 7, 7.30 or whatever. And invariably, whatever time I told them to invite round for, it would kind of, I would always end up preparing food and there would be, still be like half an hour of food prep or like 15, 20 minutes of food prep after they'd arrived. And it was something about kind of, it just became natural, like, oh, you help chop this up or chop that up or whatever. Mm. It wasn't necessarily a thing of, oh, I'm too lazy to do it. But I think it was a, I enjoyed the company whilst mm. preparing the food. And so that was something that was a really nice rhythm. You know, once, maybe twice a week you would cook. Um, and that brought everyone together. And of course, all the different guys in the house we had different styles. So, you know, you would always be like, ah, oh, I wonder what Tom's cooking up today. Or, you know, wonder what Andy's going to prep today. Andy was big for uh, Thai curries. He was... Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And that cooking enabled the meals together and it enabled the community around that table. If it had just been a case of, oh, yeah, well, we'll just order food every night, mm. um, it wouldn't have been the same mm. and obviously a lot more expensive. So there was a shared load, but it sounds like it was a real social experience for you as well, not just the eating together, but even some of the cooking together, yeah. you draw people into that. <laughs> It's interesting, I was also watching a TED Talk. I'm not going to link it because I wasn't impressed with the TED Talk. (laughs) I was fidgeting, pacing up and down, not clear, ummed a little bit. So, but my main understanding of it was that to to be a cook is to be a storyteller. But I think Mm. that's what the title was. But actually, I think it was more that in cooking, we uncover our culture. Right. And uh, he was saying, you know, in Louisiana or wherever they were, I wanted to learn how to cook. But actually what we cooked was reflective of a cultural, what was what was available, what was there, what was around. Sure. And so you learn about a culture and what is important by how what they cook and how they cook. And obviously, wherever you go in the world, there are things that grow locally. Yep. And that is the usually or commonly what makes up the local cuisine. Now, many of us are lucky enough that we're part of a much bigger global network now, which means that you can go to most supermarkets and get stuff from all over the world. And so you can cook whatever you want and have much more freedom and latitude. But I thought it was was quite interesting that you learn about a culture by what they cook and what is available. And, And I suppose there are lots of people that talk about maybe making food count or making cooking count is cooking what is locally available. Um, Fruits and veggie and and things that are available locally go well together normally. And that's what you can cook with. And that's Mm. really nice and and seasonal even. That's really interesting. Of course, yeah. Food is massive cultural element. Um, And how I wonder, that's interesting. So I wonder what's the story of your cooking is telling about you and your culture and us and our culture mm. how interesting and obviously we have we brothers grown up in a family it's quite some you know tailor recipes or, or stories out there just recently someone was even reminding us you know andrea taylor's mince pies mm. you know world famous now and yeah internationally acclaimed internationally acclaimed and yeah they're part of our family story actually that we love these homemade pastry mince pies yeah if you're not english you won't know what we're talking about no it will sound very peculiar it's actually a sweet 
delicacy. Yeah. It's not uh, savoury at all. No. Even though you put minced meat into it, Which there's is, no actual meat. There's no meat in it. It's mainly raisins and um, fruit. That's been fruit and raisins and some something that holds it all together. It's been uh, delightful. Stored. What's the word? Yeah, I can't remember. I can't think of the word. <laughs> anyway, it's really tasty. People really are going to be screaming the word out. It's like, it's this. Like when we forgot the Amish. And our international, uh, <laughs> yeah, our international uh, people will be like, what are, you, what are they talking about? And that's also a valid response. And what, you're, what, what we're just illustrating here is it's a bit of our culture. Mm. And I'm sure that if you go back 100 years, 200 years, a mince pie literally would have been minced meat yeah. in a pie. Yeah. And somewhere along the way, it's Again, morphed and changed and now it's a sweet treat. So I was also thinking about food because I've been writing this well-being book that you know about and I'm going to do this section on eating. Mm. And I was researching this quite a lot today, actually. And someone went, yeah, we know food affects our body. But most of us don't really think that our food affects our brain. Mm. You know, like, well, yeah, of Hugely. course it does. Yeah. But and and so there, there's this huge and, and growing area of like nutritional psychiatric psychiatry. Oh yeah, nutritional Basically, psychiatry, something like that. And they're wow. like, actually, we're finding more and more how food affects our emotions, our brains, our thinking, and what goes on there. And wow. they talk about. I mean, I don't really get it, but I, I read quite a bit of things about like the vagus nerve is something that connects the gut to the brain, oh, very right. interrelated. And almost people have talked about it like a second brain and just realizing, well, you talked about healthy eating earlier. And actually, in, in the context of what I'm writing, this well-being book is well, what we eat does affect how our moods and our emotions and how we think and how we process stuff and they're saying even what you eat can affect how well you pay attention and concentrate and different things and yep i'll, I'll put a slight disclaimer in for certain people listening right now nutritional stuff is hard at best like to do good research on at best mostly is correlational so when you hear people talk about the mediterranean diet it's like well yeah they're eating these things but also, they're living the Mediterranean lifestyle. They're, they're getting more sun in, in the Mediterranean. In the Mediterranean. <laughs> so, you know, maybe though it's difficult to be like, oh, yeah, well, they're all eating this. Yeah, that's true. But they're also all experiencing these other things and, and what causes what and what sure. is related. But they're, they're finding various things along that regard. And sort interesting. Of, it, so it, it is interesting because, of course, it makes sense what happens. Well, I mean, what's the old saying? You are what you eat. Mm. If you... <laughs> you are what you eat and i, I think nuts we, mm. yeah nutter anyway <laughs> but i think yeah that that idea that we don't really think how that might we, we we recognize if we eat a lot or we eat lots of processed foods or even we drink a lot of alcohol that's probably going to affect our waistline but we don't really think how that might affect how we're thinking or our moods and how how we're feeling in our emotions yeah i mean the only thing that i know is an absolute fact from growing up and watching tv adverts is omega-3 is good for your brain mm -hmm. you need lots of it it's a super thing you get it in fish but you know said firmly with tongue-in-cheek um <laughs> i'm sure it is good for you but yes i it's really interesting about how that yeah because you think well yeah if i have like a really sugary thing i know that 
it will give me an energy spike, but then I'll drop. But I suppose, yeah, I hadn't thought necessarily how the it's not just necessarily from an energy point of view, but from uh, the actual chemicals, um, things within the food that can actually change what's going on in the brain. Because obviously the brain has a huge amount of blood supply going to it and needs a lot of requirements. I think it takes up, what was it, like something like 4% of of our mass, but like a quarter of our energy usage goes to our our brain. That's a huge demand on on a small amount of mass. And so, yeah, what you feed it does make a difference Mm. to what, what it is. I like that you are what you eat thing. And I was thinking... To match that to what you were saying about the culture thing, how maybe our cooking reveals our culture. Mm. Maybe you could say, you know, you are what you eat and you cook what you are mm. or your culture is. Yeah. And I mean, there was there, there's a charity in the UK. I don't know if they're bigger than the UK called Mind. They obviously do a lot of stuff to do with. The Mind. Mind. Yeah, exactly. They're the ones good. that do cancer research stuff or is that? something else no i think it's more brain health but they obviously okay. talk about some of the emotional stuff like depression anxiety and some of the longer lasting stuff like um when you, you lose your memories oh like uh dementia dementia or, um, alzheimer's those alzheimer's. sorts of things as well and but they they had an article and they were talking about actually what you eat does affect your mental health in these different spaces and how it's really good to well, one, drink more, but eat whole foods. Drink more water. I'm more water, mean. yeah. Drink more, no, yeah, less alcohol, <laughs> more water, just stay hydrated. And and just a lot of research that has gone into that. I was actually as well thinking, to, to change angles slightly, I, got a, I bought a recipe book. And one of the mm. things that in this recipe book he was encouraging in the first section really was learn how to make your own stocks, like chicken stock, beef stock, vegetable stock, learn how to make your own jams, even your own bread, just, you know, the your own tomato ketchup, your own barbecue sauce, your, your own mayonnaise, all of these other things are sort of the bases, often, of other foods. So if you're making a Chinese stir fry, for example, then you'd learn oh, not just to use the packet, but you've made your own sauce and you know and you what's, know in, what's in there. Yeah. And I, I think there's, you know, it's that old joke that you've heard of, or well, maybe it's not even a joke, but an experience, maybe almost apocryphal now, but the teacher who asks, you know, where does this food come from? And the kid puts his hand up and goes, you know, the local supermarket, whatever that is, instead of, a, oh, it doesn't come from actually the farm or whatever. Yeah, I think yeah. when you cook, you do increase your knowledge of what you're actually eating yeah they say when you go out to the supermarket you're going to eat probably one and a half times the normal amount of calories you would because they're chucking a load of extra sugar in and extra salt in because it will make it taste a lot nicer but also you don't actually really know what's in there sure and when you cook yourself you know what's in there you learn what's in there you learn how different flavors interact and i think that's kind of what making cooking counts is as well yeah knowing what you eat because if you know what you eat, you know what you are. <laughs> That's coming up with new ac- axioms today. Axioms are everywhere, <laughs> aren't they? <laughs> I like that. I, I definitely have seen that illustration of... Uh, it probably was a TED Talk. Um, and I can't really remember exactly what it was. But it was some kind of drink and they were just like, okay, how many teaspoons of sugar do you think is in this drink? And... 
you know they put a couple in you know put your hands up when you think it's and basically they just kept putting teaspoons in i think it was like 30 something or 35 teaspoons and it was probably like in a ice latte something or other or other and you're thinking wow that is a lot of sugar and mm. so yeah it's again sugar isn't the enemy we do actually need sugar to survive and live but i do like that idea of knowing what's in that stuff yeah. now of course i've never made my own ketchup You've never made any of this yet. stuff myself i nearly um, got close <laughs> to making some jam recently yeah you haven't made any cheese yet though that's a bit long but i think there is that element of when you know what's in it i don't know it's just it's demystified it's it's going in the reverse of what our cultural trends are which is more towards speed convenience and someone else does it for me and i pay someone else to do it or basically a factory to make it for me mm. and then it just comes out ready made but ah oh, actually we, should, we could have spoken about this more in the episode we're coming to the end now but recently a friend of ours was sharing some thoughts on journeys mm. and how um up until fairly recent in human history a long journey would have been considered more in terms of days and weeks not how many thousands of miles mm-hmm. you know so now we can travel tens of thousands of miles in a day or less because of the advent of high-speed travel but back in the day you know before the advent of high-speed travel you basically would be if you're going longer than the next town across or whatever it's going to be like oh that's several days march or weeks on the road or even months Mm. on a on a voyage and so the journey it's a significant part mm. of the 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 actual travelling time is a significant part of the journey. And I think with cooking, that's the thing. Again, it's the the time spent. It's a journey you're preparing from the raw, you know, as hopefully rawish ingredients. You know, the opposite end of it is I basically go and get a takeout food or go to a restaurant. And it just arrives on my table ready made, and I don't have anything to do with it. And again, that's not bad, but Perhaps we lose touch a little bit with our roots. We lose touch maybe with some of our cultural roots uh, and some of those stories about who we are and who we're becoming if we never really engage in meaningfully taking time to go, well, what is it that we want to cook? And how does that, not necessarily what does that say about us from a status point of view, but what are the cultural stories we're almost living into? Mm. And you talked about that with your uni house, that actually the preparation of it invited the the table to become the center part of the communal household yeah and there was the the cooking led to that and you even earlier talked about how it wouldn't be the same if we just ordered takeout every night you know somehow that that wouldn't have led to you all sitting at the table but probably in your different rooms yeah and there's something about when you start cooking even when you just put the onions and the garlic in the aromas start building because every meal starts with onions and garlic of course <laughs> but it smells good and as you layer in more foods and more ingredients and spices and spices and and different vegetables it it sort of goes into the whole house and everyone starts smelling and enjoying it and they're invited to come because they know food is nearly ready yeah and they sort of gather around and i, I do like that process of yeah it, it sort of cooking food draws people love that love that so basically what i'm saying is i'm on a journey to try and make cooking count this year i like to cook better better more improved food try more intentionally more intentionally 
more in line with my values perhaps is where we could have gone today so what are your favorite recipes send them to us <laughs> yeah. i might even try some um, sorry i had to do this well I've, ever since you were telling about the mince pie thing i just was remembering how we have a friend who came to the uk once and ate a meal in a pub and then afterwards when the person came to ask for what dessert they wanted they were like well i've heard a lot about this thing so i'm going to order a yorkshire pudding please and the, the waiter kind of looked at them strangely like is, is that all you want yes just a yorkshire pudding please and of course anyone that knows what a yorkshire pudding is knows that basically it's a piece of pastry <laughs> it's just a piece of pastry it's effectively meant to mop up gravy yeah, it's just a, a, a savory dish yeah. it's not sweet at all and so that definitely illustrates something of the food that we have does have cultural context and tells a cultural story mm. and an outsider is completely bewildered by that mm-hmm. and it can be a beautiful thing <laughs> <laughs> see you next week guys